So, um, the last couple weeks, we've been in a series titled COVID Recovery, and we've been talking about some of the impacts the coronavirus has made in our country and addressing those concerns from God's Word. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike started our COVID Recovery series talking about the anxiety people have been feeling as a result of the coronavirus. We've been talking about how people have felt stress, uh, substance abuse has gone up, there's been increasing uh, isolation that people have been feeling. Oh, and by the way, media consumption has not really helped, pe- has not really helped lower people's anxieties and fears. In fact, it's done the opposite. It's only increased it. And so the increase in people's anxiety levels has also impacted people's relationships. And that's what we focused on last week is getting help for our relationships. And just as a reminder of people needing help in this time with relationships, there was a news headline I came across uh, from foxnews.com, which said, U.S. divorce rates skyrocket. U.S. divorce rates skyrocket amid COVID-19 pandemic. And the article went on to state that the divorce rate in America from March to June of this year went up 34% compared to the same period last year. So not only have marriages suffered in this COVID period, but women and children have suffered as well with increases in domestic violence and sexual abuse. That's another thing that you'll find out there when you look at problems in relationships in this time that we're living in. And so last week, we talked about getting God's help in relationships. But this week, I want to focus our attention on talking about hope. Because with the increases in anxiety, stress, substance abuse, fear, isolation, divorce, domestic violence, sexual abuse, it's understandable that people would have feelings of hopelessness. And here's three examples of of that which I came across uh, this week that express people's feelings of hopelessness uh, in this time. Uh, Three headlines here. Uh, Here's another one from foxnews.com. It says, percentage of Americans reporting depression symptoms triples during the coronavirus pandemic, study shows. Another uh, article I found was uh, an interview done with a doctor at the John Muir Medical Center, which is up in the San Francisco Bay Area. This is conducted by the ABC, ABC 7 News of the San Francisco Bay Area. And this hospital is in Walnut Creek up north. And he said that his hospital uh, in the last... Um, he said that his hospital had seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. And that last four weeks he was talking about was between uh, April and, and May. So it was something that they just had never seen or experienced before. So much uh, anxiety you know, and, and depression it's in such a quick time frame. And last week, um, this last week, I also came across an NPR article that reviewed... Uh, people's mental health. And and it was a survey that was conducted by the CDC, and and it was conducted at the end of this June, which found that 25% of those ages 18 to 24 had seriously considered suicide. And so the fallout of the coronavirus has brought about anxiety, problems in relationships, and increased feelings of hopelessness. And so today, again, what I want to talk to you about is hope. Can there really be true hope in the midst of suffering? Is there hope 
beyond your present circumstances, beyond this life even? Or is hope just something we get glimpses of in this life, and when life is it, that's just kind of the end of things. Like, it's just like turning out the lights. Everything just goes dark, nothing else happens, and that's it. Well, I believe, based on the Bible, God's Word, that people can have true hope in the midst of suffering. That hope has eternal value, that it's not registered to some temporary experiences in this life alone, but is rooted in a real reality. So today, I want to take a look at the truth of what the Bible has to say about hope. Because God's Word is truth. Because He Himself is the source of truth. And as we're talking about that question, or as we're talking about this, I want you to think about a particular question in your head as we're going through this today. Ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, what is the foundation of my hope? Or another way that you could ask this is, what is my hope grounded in? Now, in the English language, the word hope has a range of meanings to it, depending on the context. One, de- one definition of hope can be very personal, right? In the sense that uh, a particular person can be the object of our hopes. You know, for example, we have an election coming up, and our nation's two political parties have each, in- each endorsed a candidate that they hope will win the election and take the nation in the direction that they want to see it go. And within that example of, of hope is the idea of, of trust. And when we put our hope in a person, we're giving them our trust that they can fulfill what they say they will do. So the word hope can have an objective source, which involves our trust, but it also involves our desires. Like when my daughter says she hopes to have a puppy someday. She is expressing a particular desire of her heart, and she is hoping that the desires of her heart will be fulfilled. So when, when we use the word hope to express our desires and our dreams, so we can use the word hope to express our desires and our dreams about a desired future outcome. Now, when our hopes and our, and our dreams and our desires that we've talked about regarding our future don't work out, it's incredibly disappointing. Incredibly disappointing. And I like how Fyodor Dostoevsky put it. He said, to live without hope is to cease to live. People need to have hope in order to live. It gives them purpose and meaning. Proverbs 13, 12, um, written by King Solomon, says this about hope. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred just makes you sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And all I have to say uh, when I think about that and what King Solomon wrote is that he must have been an Angels fan, okay? Uh, or, if, or if you're in my case from being from the Chicago area, uh, it reminds me of being a Chicago Cubs fan growing up. Because until the year 2016, the Cubs were known as the lovable losers, right? As they went a century without winning a, a World Series title. And there were moments when uh, some of their teams gave great reasons to be hopeful and optimistic about their chances of winning the World Series, and then they would just go out and blow it, right? And the fan base would be so disappointed, and they'd just throw up their hands in disgust and disbelief, and all they could say is just, 
wait till next year. Like, we'll just put our hope in the next season and maybe something good will happen. And a moment ago, I talked about how people are, are pinning their hopes and, and putting their trust in for the future of our nation on two presidential candidates. And come election day, some people's hearts are going to be feeling very, very sick at the outcome of the election because their desires have not been fulfilled. And of course, the general truth that Solomon spoke about hope doesn't just apply to superficial things like sports um, or to just elections, but speaks to our personal lives as well. Uh, when Sarah was pregnant with, with our first child, we had so much hope and excitement for what that little girl would bring to our family. But our hope was deferred. And that child did not survive. It died at uh, 22 weeks into the pregnancy. And our hearts became very sick at the results of what happened with that. And so when our good desires are not met, it is so disappointing. But when they are, when they are met, when good desires are fulfilled, it brings life to us. It keeps us going. And by God's grace, he brought us two more uh, beautiful, healthy girls who bring a lot of life to our family. And as you've seen, they certainly keep us going. And uh, thank you to those of you who have had input in their life here at Grace Hills Church. So hope is a really powerful word because it expresses so much about us as human beings. And as much as we need hope in the day-to-day of our lives, there's only one there's just one sad reality about it, one sad truth about the nature of hope in this life, in this world. Because what we hope in or hope for, for even those good desires, even if the good desires are fulfilled, that filling is often not long-lasting. It's often more temporary in nature. And I think a good example of this uh, that I was thinking about this week is um, the superstar quarterback, Tom Brady. Tom Brady has won six Super Bowls. He's played in nine of them, which in both of those reasons, he's, he's the most successful quarterback in NFL history. And when he won his third Super Bowl at the age of 27, he sat down with an interview with 60 Minutes, and he said this about his accomplishments at that time. Here's what he said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? And he went on to say, there has to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And so the, the interviewer just asked the million-dollar question. He says, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady responded back, well, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I don't know if you've ever felt like Tom Brady, and that interview was from 15 years ago, so maybe he would answer it differently today, but... That's how he answered that on record. And have, have you ever had your hopes or your dreams fulfilled and then wondered to yourself, is that it? Is that all there is to life? We know that human beings need hope in their daily lives. It's what keeps us going. But we also need to recognize that the earthly things that we put our hope in often disappoint us and do not last. They're, they're temporary in nature. And this is the difference between earthly hope and biblical hope. 
our hopes in this world are often filled with wishful thinking kind of hope. Like a child who hopes they will get a certain toy for Christmas. A young person hopes they can get the job of their dreams. A married couple hopes that their children turn out well, right? A person struggling financially hopes they can pay their bills. People today are hopeful that they don't catch the coronavirus, right? And so people hope and our people's hope in our world is is filled with a wishful thinking kind of hope. And our hopes are often temporary in nature and as soon as our desires are fulfilled, we kind of wonder, well what's next? And and this is the nature of earthly hope. But biblical hope is the exact opposite. Biblical hope is not temporary in nature. It is permanent. It is lasting. Biblical hope is not based on wishful thinking. It is based on certainty, rooted in a true reality. And when you survey what the Bible has to say about hope, hope is found in a relationship with the one true God. Hope is found in His Word, and hope is found in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So if we're ever going to recover our hope, we need to know what to put our ultimate hope in which is God himself. So hope for recovery begins with knowing God, knowing his word, and knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Hope for recovery begins with knowing God, knowing his word, and knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Hope for recovery first begins with knowing who God is. To know God, we have to have a proper view of God. Now, that could be a whole seminar. You could spend a whole semester in a Bible class talking about that. Or you could read a whole big book on that, okay? So I'm not going to cover all, the, all those things. And that, obviously, you know, if you leave today and you think, you know, Matt really just scratched the surface on hope, uh, that's good. Because it makes you realize that God is so much bigger than everything um, that I'm even covering today. Hope is a big word uh, within the Bible that points to so many awesome things about who God is. But I do want to share a few key attributes of God that I think we need to be reminded of about God in this time that we're living in. And, And the first thing that I think is important for us to remember about God is that He is both infinite and personal. God is both infinite and personal. The God we read about, recorded in Scripture, is unique in this sense because all other religions do not record a God who is both infinite and personal. So this is unique to what the Bible says about who God is. The gods of other religions, like the ancient gods of the Greeks and Romans and their their mythology, they were very personal to them. They were very personal to the Greeks and the Romans, but those gods really were not gods at all. They were demonic spirits. And as such, those gods were flawed and limited in their power. Are we going to make it with this? (laughs) Um, Sorry about that. Huh? Okay, I'm going to try that. Can you hear me better now? Okay, sorry about that. Um, 
And so the gods of other religions, to the Greeks and the Romans and their ancient uh, religious cults, the gods were really personal, but they were flawed, and they were limited in their power. Now, another false religious view of God is that he's so transcendent, he's so much bigger than us, he is so infinite, that he's really not personal, that he can't really be known, that he doesn't care intimately about his creation. And this kind of view of God is called deism, okay? But the Bible, God's special revelation to us, reveals that there is one God who is both infinite and personal. And by infinite, we mean the grandness of God, okay? He's not bound by the things of this world. He is above it. He is beyond it. He's not hindered by the things of this world. And God is infinite in his holiness, his righteousness, and God is infinite in that he is not bound by time. He is eternal. He is before creation, and he will be around after the creation goes away. This is expressed in Psalm 92, the eternality of God. He says, the writer says this in Psalm 90, verse 2, says, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And God is also infinite in his wisdom and power, which is reflected in his creation. Psalm 147, 4 to 5 puts it like this. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. One of my favorite verses that speaks of God's creation is found in Psalm 36, verses 6 to 9. It says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. I mean, the next time you go down to the beach, think about that. Everything that is there in front of you, God has orchestrated, he's ordered, he's purposed. The, the depths of the seas, the seas being held there, not overriding the earth. God did that, he, and he spoke it all into being. And in God's infinite wisdom and power, he knows the number of stars in the universe. That's what the, these verses are saying. He even named them. So that means scientists can't even catch up with him, right? He spoke the world into existence by the breath of his mouth, and he carefully ordered the world, separating the seas and land, keeping the oceans in their right places. I like what Isaiah writes about God in, in Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Actually, Isaiah writes this down, but it's God saying this about himself through the prophet Isaiah. And God says this, he says, I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. 
So these verses from Isaiah not only reflect God is infinite, but that He is unchanging and that He is sovereign. He is unchanging in that His plans always go forward. They are always accomplished. He does not change His mind. But God is not only unchanging in His plans, though, He is unchanging in His character, which should give us great reason to put our hope, our trust, and our faith in the one true God. But God is not only infinite, like we said at the beginning here, He's also personal. And so when we are talking about God being personal, it means He relates to us, and we can relate to Him. It's also another way to express that God has intimate knowledge of this, of of us. God is omniscient in knowledge. He knows all things, but then he's also very personal with that knowledge. And one of my favorite passages uh, that reflects just how personal God is, is Psalm 139, 13 to 16. This is uh, David writing this psalm, King David. And he says, he says this to the Lord. He says, for you, speaking to the Lord, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I love this part. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has intimate knowledge of you and your life. He sees all your life from before you were even born. God knows all your thoughts. He knows all your emotions. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows more about you than anybody else. And if you've had some struggles during this COVID period, he knows all that you've gone through in this COVID period as well. And he says this for those who love him. In Psalm 56, 8, it says this about God and his... Again, this is another great example of God's personalness and his care for us in the midst of our difficulties. The author of this, um, in Psalm 56, 8, says this, You have kept count of my tossings. Okay? You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Okay? So the author is claiming that God sees everything that's going on with him, all his tossings and fears that are keeping him up at night, all the tears that has been shed over what has been happening in life. And he's, he's claiming that God knows all these things. They're recorded in his book. And so these examples reflect uh, not only God's intimate knowledge of you, but his sovereignty over all things. Because God is the one who is moving and guiding history and watching over his creation. And so part of having a proper perspective of God is knowing God is sovereign over the nations. Um, a great verse on this is from the book of Daniel. And Daniel wrote this in, in uh, Daniel 2.21. He said this about God. He says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Remembering God is sovereign over the leaders 
of the nations, that he changes the times and the seasons, means that everything that is happening in the world today does not surprise God. For example, in the Middle East, God has raised up Israel. God has chosen this time and this place to raise up his nation, Israel, as a prominent nation, as a wealthy nation. And God knows all that is happening throughout the world with the alliances that have been happening with Russia, Turkey, and Iran, which which are being formed in a way that has never happened before in world history. And if you want to read more about how all that plays out, let's read Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay? But God has a plan. He's purposed things to take the nations in the direction that he is purposing them to go. And God also is going to use our election, no matter the outcome, to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And by the way, when I say that, it doesn't mean that you don't go out and vote or become apathetic and be like, well, God's got this, so I don't got to do nothing. I'm secure. No, it means you vote on the issues. You vote for the ones that most closely match biblical values. But the point is, is that um, we are to be involved, but at the end of the day, we are to trust God and leave the results to him. Trust him whatever happens, okay? Because he alone is our, our fortress, like we were saying earlier from the prayer in, in Psalms. Psalm 46. And God is also going to use this coronavirus to bring about something greater for his plans in the world too. What that will exactly look like, nobody knows, okay? But God claims in the Bible the world is moving towards uh, a future that, that honestly faces judgment. That's the sober reality, okay? So things are going to get a whole lot worse before God brings about his restoration. He has a good plan and a good hope for those who put their faith in him, but things are going to be moving in a difficult direction in a, in, until Jesus returns, okay? Now, another attribute that we need to know and be reminded of is that God is faithful in his promises and in his love towards us. To say that God is faithful to his promises means he doesn't lie. A great example of this uh, is in the Old Testament with the prophet Jeremiah. You know, after Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians, he was deeply grieved. I mean, deeply distraught. So much so he was called the weeping prophet. His love for his people ran deep, and he witnessed horrible things that happened to the people of Jerusalem. Horrible things. And Israel was so thoroughly defeated by the Babylonians that things just looked hopeless for them. They thought their situation was hopeless. And and even though things did appear to look hopeless, and even though Jeremiah was very depressed and sad at what God had allowed to happen to his people Israel and Jerusalem, he didn't lose hope in the promises of God. In fact, one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament about uh, sorrow is this verse from Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. Jeremiah wrote this, and he's thinking on his experiences, and he says, But I call this to mind, and therefore have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new, or his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope 
in him. So Jeremiah knew that the, the bad things his people had suffered was not because God was lacking in love for his people, that they were suffering because of they were suffering because of the sins they committed against God. But Jeremiah also knew that God in his mercy would restore Israel in his time, that God would stay faithful to his promises made to Israel to give them a bright future. And in that time of great difficulty, Jeremiah put his hope in the infinite and personal God who he knew would not violate his character. And that is what makes God worthy to be trusted in. So hoping in God involves trusting in his character. It also involves trusting that he is with those who love him. He is with those who love him. There are so many verses in the Bible that God tells people, or where God tells people that he is with them. And for the sake of time, I'll, I'll just mention two. One is from Joshua 1.9, which says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the other is from Jesus himself. And as he's departing from this earth and goes back to heaven, he says this to his disciples in Matthew 28.20. He says, Behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so God doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to live with hope that he is with us and watching over us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't face challenges in life. It, it just means that when we do, he is there. He knows what is going on. He can be depended upon, and he can get you through it. So recovering our hope begins with a proper understanding of who God is. He is the infinite personal God who is sovereign over the nations, who is trustworthy and faithful in keeping his promises, who is steadfast in his love, and who is with those who love him. And all these reasons for putting our hope in God is found in his word. So if you're going to recover your hope for life, or if you want hope for your life, you're going to have to trust in God's word. Hope for recovery also involves knowing and trusting God's word. Knowing God comes through knowing him through his word and trusting what it says. Psalm 119, 105 puts it like this. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is what he has given us as a source of truth that lights our way in all seasons. The Bible is where we turn to, to know who God is, to know who we are, to know truth from error, to guide us through dark times and to give us hope. It is what helps sustain us in life and helps us grow into who God wants us to be. In, in Matthew 4.4, 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he replied to Satan's temptation of turning rocks into bread, and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is saying we need daily food to live. We also are spiritual beings and need daily spiritual nourishment from God on a regular basis. And this spiritual nourishment comes from the word of God as it brings life to our souls and brings us hope in the midst of despair, even in the midst of persecution. In, in Harold Saleh's book, How You Can Have Confidence in the Bible, he tells the story of this man that he interviews who was a Chinese Christian man who was living in communist China uh, back in the 50s and 60s as a youth. And uh, he was later in life interviewing with uh, Harold Saleh. And anyway, this man was put into prison, into a forced labor camp, where he had to do difficult, hard labor under harsh conditions and, and very cold winters. And he says what helped him survive all that persecution in those labor camps 
was having the Bible with him. And this is what he, he said to Harold, who wrote the book. He said, what helped him survive was this. I smuggled a little Bible into the camp when I was taken there. And without that Bible, I don't think I could have survived. So the Bible is, is necessary for hope, and so is Jesus Christ. Hope, is, hope for recovery is ultimately found in Jesus, as he is the one you need to put your hope in for both now and eternity. You know, a lot of people in this world think that they can get into to heaven, right? But their hope for heaven is really just based on their own efforts, if you just talk about how they think they can get there. And the hope is that if you do enough good things, that you will get into heaven. It tends to be how people think about it. But honestly, this kind of hope is really just wishful thinking kind of hope when you look at the biblical data of how you get into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that getting into heaven is not by our works that get us into right relationship with God. It is only by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, it says. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. In fact, all of our good deeds that we do to achieve some level of righteousness, God considers as nothing more than filthy rags or polluted garments. So it's not your own works that get you into heaven, but it is through the basis of God's gracious gift of salvation that he offers through Jesus Christ. And the greatest plague, disease, infection that people have been living with for thousands of years is the disease of sin. This is our greatest problem. Sin is the reason that we live in a fallen, broken world where our hopes can be dashed and our hopes can be made temporary. And even if some of our hopes are fulfilled and and we achieve our hopes, like Tom Brady's, um, their glory just fades as time goes on. But Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. He came to call sinners to repentance. And our first step to, to getting right with God is to repent of our sins that we've committed against him. We need to recognize that there's nothing in our own power that we can do to get right with God. In, in Jesus, we can have hope for forgiveness of sins. And 1 John 1, 9 says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our hope, so our hope for the forgiveness of our sins is not is is the hope for the forgiveness of our sins is based on placing our faith in Christ in His blood atoning sacrifice for sin on the cross. Because as the Bible tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the good news is that even though Jesus died a horrible death on the cross, paying the price for your sin and for mine, he did not stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the most critical part of the gospel message because if Jesus didn't die, or if Jesus, excuse me, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith, then our faith in the words of Paul is futile, and we are still in our sins. He says that if we have hope in Christ for this life only, and this life alone, then all, of, then all of us who believe that and believe in him, if, if he was still dead, we are the most to be pitied. If Christ were still dead, we would be the ones most to be pitied because we'd be, we'd be, we would be believing in a lie. But for the Christian, our hope is not based in a, in a dead Messiah, but a king and savior who is alive, who defeated sin and death, who is coming again and gives us eternal life when we put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins and we follow him with our lives. And I'll just close with this. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. It 
awesome passage here about the hope that we have in Christ if you have decided to follow Him and have asked Him for the repentance of your sins. He says this, this is Peter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, get this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus is our living hope. He's our true hope for life right now, and that we can be forgiven of our sin and live a transformed life for God right now through the power of His Holy Spirit. And He's our hope for eternity as He conquered sin and death. And the inheritance of His salvation of eternal life is one that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And this is not like the world's hope, is it? It's a hope that doesn't ever go bad. And it's in a place that has no corruption. It's unfading. Its glory never fades. You are perpetually filled with joy. And so the so what to finish on is what is your hope grounded in? Is that the question we started with earlier? Is it in temporary things? Or is it grounded in a true reality, the eternal God of hope and His eternal true word and His eternal Son who offers you eternal salvation? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that uh, we have good reasons to put our hope in you and that it's not a temporary hope. It's not based on wishful thinking. It's based and rooted in a real reality that, that is permanent and has assurance of um, coming to fruition in the future. And so I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody uh, who hasn't humbled themselves before you, asked for the repentance of their sin, confessed their sin to you, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they would put their faith in you for the sacrifice for their sins and that they would commit to follow you with their lives. And for that, Lord, you will reward those people that they can cross over from being in a state of death to being in a state of life today. And so I just ask, Lord, that uh, people would do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.